Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host and fellow Twilight Barker, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm great, Andy. How are you doing? I'm super. Hey, do we want to talk about why I wanted to do this movie, 101 Dalmatians? I I think we should. And, And I want you to know, I want you to know, viewer, this was Andy's choice. It was my choice. Um, You know, for me, this movie really represents a real shift in Disney storytelling. Um, You know, there's this, we've seen lots of hand-drawn, realistic animation. And we're shifting now in 1961 to a more cartoonish look. Uh, 101 Dalmatians is a lot of people's favorite movie. They love, when I say, you know, hey, what movie do you love for, you know, in Disney? And they're like, oh, I love 101 Dalmatians. There's no ride for 101 Dalmatians. There's no, no, like a lot of, you don't see things at Disney World. So it's just kind of interesting that this is everybody's, a lot of people's favorite. You know, if I imagine a ride in 101 Dalmatians, it would be like Mr. Toad's. It would be Cruella's Wild Ride. Ooh. Um, But I think Mr. Toad's probably fills that very nicely. And there was probably no need for a Cruella ride. Although I'd take a ride with Cruella over Mr. Toad any day. (laughs) True. Hmm. Now you got my wheels turning, Larry. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, Well, some key facts to set the stage here for this movie um, the film was adapted from the book 101, The 101 Dalmatians by Dodie Smith. Dodie um, Smith, by the way, one of my favorite authors. Uh, and I just want really? to recommend, I just want to recommend to the audience, I Capture the Castle, which I love. It's like, it's like Pride and Prejudice, uh, but a little more <gasps> modern. It's, it's really Ooh. good. Okay. Sorry, back, back to you, Andy. No, no, no. The, the 101 Dalmatians was first published in serial form in Woman's Day magazine as the Great Dog Robbery. Hmm. So, okay. love that. Fair <laughs> love enough. That. I, no, it made me think of the Great Mouse Detective or what, you know, so anyway. Um, so, there's some new technology that's employed during the making of 101 Dalmatians, and it's a progress uh, process called uh, xerography. And this technique allows for some exact... Uh, reproductions of the original animated drawings onto cells so they no longer need to be traced in ink and xerography cuts down the process considerably because we don't have to trace 99 puppies with spots on every frame oh, <laughs> yeah imagine that yeah, imagine i know and it lowers cost significantly so reportedly there are over 6.4 million spots in the 113,760 frames of this film. Oh, boy. So there's that. Um, and, and it does really cut down costs. Sleeping Beauty was made for around 6 to $7 million, depending on who you talk to. And this movie was made for about 3.6 to $4 million just because of the adoption of this new technology. Um, and in the opening title sequence, they kind of give a little bit of a nod on how they use it. So when you see... Pongo looking over the wall at Perdita, you can sort of see how they use that um, with with the bricks and all the things that they're putting together. Now, this is pure conjecture on my part, Larry, because I can't find anything definitive on this point. But I wonder if these black outlines show up better on black and white television sets, which then allows Disney to showcase these films as part of their... ABC Wonderful World of Disney programming. Oh, that's interesting. If if they were thinking about that at that point. Right. Yeah. I mean, and these are I'd buy it. These are black and white dogs, right? And so there's a lot of black and white in this film. Um and what we do see in color is often um you know, has that uh those black lines that are pretty pretty tight. So, um Cruella DeVille is voiced by Betty Lou Gerson, who is also the voice of the narrator in Cinderella. And Cruella's look was inspired by the fur-loving Zsa Zsa Gabor, which I thought was fun. And my favorite part is that Disney Feature Animation calls their company newsletter the Twilight Bark after the call the dogs use all throughout England to summon one another for gossip or support. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Isn't that That fun? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Should we get into plot a little bit? Let's do it. Okay. 
So we always start with our Manish Tanah, where we ask about the point of attack of the movie. Mm-hmm. Specifically, why does this movie begin exactly where it begins? Um, this movie begins, I mean, first there's the little credit sequence where we see the dogs. Right. Uh, which it promises the movie will de- deliver us dogs. Right. Um, but but then it goes to Pongo's bachelor life, uh, living living with Roger in the apartment. Pongo is narrating this sequence, uh, which I, I think is interesting. Why do we begin here? Why do you think, Andy? Boy, I've got a lot of thoughts about this. Um, oh, good. I do. I I um, I really think this is almost a nod to the storybook opening of Disney, where a narrator tells us what's going on. Um, I don't think we've had a movie where we haven't had that. Sleeping right. Beauty does that. I don't think we have a single movie that that has that. And so I think instead of opening the book, we get to see Pongo be the narrator. We also get to distinguish between how Pongo interacts with humans and how he interacts with dogs. And so the status quo here is Roger and Pongo together, and life's pretty dull for them. Although Roger is oblivious to the fact that life is dull for him. (laughs) Right. It's really dull for Pongo. Pongo is not satisfied with just lying around listening to Roger plunk on the piano. So I think we get to see this as more of a status quo versus a, um, you know, we're getting in it and, you know, we're right in the center of the action. So for me, the question that I would ask, and I don't think this movie has a satisfying answer for this, is why is this the day where Pongo is suddenly thinking about, you know, finding a partner, finding a partner for Roger and finding a partner for himself? It feels like this has been their routine for some time, mm-hmm. but there doesn't seem to be anything in particular about this day that triggers Pongo into, I'm going to go at the window and, and look for uh, a woman and, and her dog for the two right. of us. It just sort of happens today because the movie's starting as opposed to this is a special day. And, and as I much w- as I love this movie, there are this is one of those moments that I'm going to point out as we keep talking, where we see Pongo, um, we get a line, we get one line. And the line here is, it's a spring day, I can't remember it verbatim, but it's a spring day and bachelors get a little, you know, it's a hard day for bachelors. And so that's all we get as to why this is the day Pongo's going to start looking for Roger. Yes. I, I mean, it. I mean, we could we could say as a dog, he's reached a certain age and his uh, spring when a dog's heart is filled with love. Right. R- right. Uh, exactly. But but it's not particularly a strong impetus. If we saw Roger unhappy and mm-hmm. Pongo was trying to solve the fact that Roger is unhappy, that mm-hmm. might be a little bit stronger of a choice. Right. Uh, or if, you know, if we didn't start at this particular moment, I don't think the point of attack is right on exactly here. I also am concerned, I don't think we need Pongo narrating. He has one cute line about Roger being his pet, which mm-hmm. I enjoy. I, I think that's a clever bit. But there's nothing the narration is telling us that the body language of the characters isn't telling us. We see mm. Pongo looking out, out the window. We see him looking at the various women um, and and their dogs, and we can see his reaction to them. We don't need his inter- internal monologue here. What I what I've come away with, and and maybe I'm wrong. The reason we have the narration here is this is a talking dog movie, right? And Pongo can't demonstrate that he's a talking dog in this scene uh, be- because he does not he's not capable of talking to Roger specifically. So that's the piece of information we're getting from the narration. Once Pongo is talking to Perdita and the other dogs in the community, the na- the narrator aspect has dropped out completely from the movie. It's just right. here to let us know he'll be talking later, maybe? Right. Well, yeah, we get to see how Pongo, and I think I said this, but how Pongo interacts with humans and then how he interacts with dogs, right? So we know what's going on in his head because we because Pongo's the protagonist, right? So if we don't really know what's going on uh, in his head, we're going to have a tough time, I think, later on. But we've seen in other movies that Disney can pull this off without a narrator. We've seen it in Bambi. 
Uh, we will see this in Dumbo. We don't need mm-hmm. the character to be talking for us to fully understand their emotional state. And yeah, I true. find I true. find the narration in this scene unnecessary. Yeah, Unless it's not it's, really, it doesn't have a lot of umph. Like, it really is that kind of, let's settle into the movie and kind of see where this, you know, let's all get our popcorn and settle in. Um, it doesn't feel like there's this moment of surprise or attack there, right? Yeah. I, I, all right, so that is that is where the movie opens. And right. uh, we we have um, this sequence where Pongo leads Roger out to, to meet... Uh, his girlfriend and Perdita. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that whole sequence, by the way, for me, feels like exposition. Mm-hmm. It, and I could see someone saying, oh, the inciting incident is uh, Pongo meeting Perdita. I, I right. could, I would understand that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the inciting incident of the movie. I think all of that is exposition. I think, I think uh, the humans getting married uh, mm-hmm. Roger and Anita getting married is exposition. Mm-hmm. I think Perdita getting pregnant is ex- exposition. And I don't think we get to an inciting incident until significantly later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a few places it could be. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that this film is really kind of told in sequences where there's exposition at the beginning of every sequence. Yeah. Um, and, and each of these sequences seems to have its own dramatic question. So in the first sequence, if we're like, will Roger remain a bachelor? Or will Pongo find someone to share his life with? Okay, we've got that story wrapped. Um, and so each of those, you know, almost has a, now, now she's pregnant. Here comes Cruella DeVille. Will Cruella steal the puppies? Nope, he's chased her. Roger stood up to him and chased him off, and that's done, right? Now we're up to the puppies are, you know, so next is, you know, they're going for a walk. The puppies are watching television. So it seems like each of these have a little bit of a sequence um, where, you know, like I said, I. but if we're looking at it more traditionally of, you know, here's a three-act structure, then I would say that the inciting incident would be something, either the arrival of the puppies or Horace and Jasper stealing the puppies. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And... Uh, the thing that actually causes the movie to happen is not the birth of the puppies. Because right. once the puppies are bo- born, they don't really do much. They watch TV. They live in the house. They don't do much. The right. thing that activates our characters is the kid, the dog napping right, right, of, right. of the puppies, which is a significant ways in. This movie takes its time to mm-hmm. get going. Um before the action really comes in. And again, that's why I think each of the, I think that sequence structure is probably more, I mean, I can make a pretty good case for that because again, almost, they're almost standalones. Each of these little pieces are almost standalones that you can watch and be like, oh, they got together and they got married. Well, that's a nice little thing that we can share. Uh, And I wonder if they're telling it this way to keep the attention of little children because like, oh, here's one little story. Oh, here's another little story. It almost like little chapters within this piece. And there are little moments of tension within them, particularly about the one puppy who it looks like didn't make it. Right. And then Lucky. Roger saves sure. the day. Uh, I mean, that that could be a story in and of itself, how, how Roger saves the puppy. Oh, it, sure. It's just not our story. No. Um, and it's not what we're here to see. We're here to see the the rescue of the puppies that right, that right. is our big ticket uh attraction and so we have to say that the dog napping is the decided inciting incident and for a movie it comes in late that's i agree agree so each of these sequences sort of build on the next and i agree with you that it comes a little later um it might be in, you know it but it also raises the stakes because we know how hard it was for pongo to get perdita in the first place we know how hard it was for Perdita to, you know, feel like she could have puppies and keep them safe from someone like Cruella. And then all of a sudden the puppies are gone and everything is, you know, every, everything's gone. All that they've loved and all that they've dreamt and all that they've built is completely, completely gone. And yet, Andy, I would say I could do all of that in 10 minutes easy. <laughs> You would have to do it in, in modern day screenwriting. Sure, you would have absolutely. to do all of that in 10 minutes easy. 100%. Uh, you know, because because Perdita can't decide not to have the puppies. It's a right. movie about puppies. 
Right. <laughs> like, you know. Um, she does have that moment where she said, I wish we'd never had them, right? Because she's right. afraid they're, oh, it's awful. So awful. Yes. Okay. Well, and, and <sighs> you know, it, it certainly sets a tone, whether it's the right tone, I don't know. It's a sympathetic tone. I understand where she's coming from. And look, I, I don't want to get into the World War II of it all, but right. uh, we're, right. we're, we're not over, what is it, 1951? 61. Uh, 61? Uh, so yeah, okay. so the parents of these, you know, the parents of you know, European parents who took their film kids to this film would definitely have that on their radar of what it was like to be a child and grow up and have, you know, need to go to the country or have wonder if you're safe or, you know, so all of those things would be. I mean, the, the keeping of children safe, like the, what, what has come out in the last couple of decades of children who haven't been safe uh, is... Mm is probably a big part of, of this. Right. Uh, I want to just ask one question quickly sure. um, about exposition here for me and see if you agree with me, but for me, a lot of the exposition feels like it could have been set up and paid off. Um, so if they're using the sequence approach, then at the beginning of a sequence, we get something like the twilight bark and it comes out of nowhere. Right. Right. Um, it's like, Oh, so what if y- you could, in a modern day, you would use something like the Twilight Bark to find Perdita in the first place and then create that meetup uh, instead of using that bark and maybe other dogs would help assist in putting them together uh, versus them him ogling women as they go by, right? And so then we get to see him use that for more than just gossip. But when she says, oh, the Twilight Bark, that's just for gossip. And we're like, what is the Twilight Bark? I've never heard of that before. So it seems like it's there are pieces of this that just aren't being utilized to their full effect, even given, Cruella, given modern screenwriting standards. Even Cruella comes out of nowhere when she oh, first arrives. Oh, 100%. And I, I could see a re-envisioned version of this, where mm-hmm. Roger goes to pick up Anita on her first date, on their first date, but Cruella is Anita's roommate. Right, Rod, right, you know, like, or Anita is with Cruella when they meet. Yes, bring right? her because into this. Fo- we have a lot of rising action yeah. in this movie, uh, all of which would take place after the dog napping, the bringing of the dogs to Horace and Jasper's uh, place, the, mm-hmm. the discovery that the puppies have been kidnapped, the mm-hmm. Twilight Bark sequence, um, the bit with the with the where the cat goes and does reconnaissance, um, getting the information back. Where do you think this movie reaches its climax? And and by climax, I mean the tension is at its highest possible point here. I think it's when the puppies are, uh, are ro- they've rolled in the soot. They're getting onto the moving truck. They've got a ride back to London. Cruella's on the, on the prowl. Horace and Jasper are on the prowl. And there's a car chase. And then Cruella's ultimately foiled. That's where I kind of think that whole, yeah. that whole sequence feels like it's the most tense for me. It's the moment where where the puppy's plans have gone. Uh, I mean, the Pongo's plans have gone a little awry. It's the icicle melting, right? Right. And, right. and the one puppy has been exposed. That mm-hmm. is Cruella's last best chance to get the dogs back. Uh, I would agree. That's the climax of the movie. And she almost does. She almost gets them back. Uh, we almost have a horrible movie ending in dog aside that that I that I can't handle, um, and then right. and then we get some falling action, which is we we see you know the dogs come home, they start counting the number of dogs and realize hey there's a little more than fifteen here. <laughs> what have uh, you guys we, been up to? <laughs> we hear that Roger has written this song about Cruella Deville, which has swept the nation, um, and now they have enough money to to adopt all 101 dogs and buy a farm for the dogs to run around. the Dalmatian foundation, right? right? Or Dalmatian plantation. Plantation, Yeah. Right. 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 Some, some, something along it those should, lines. It should be, it should be foundation anyway. Uh, yes. No, I mean, there's this, um, there's this thing here though, that in the climax that I kind of struggle with, I love this movie. Like, I can't believe I'm picking this movie apart because I love it so much. And I would watch it again. I've watched it three times this week and I would watch it again. Um, the, the car crash where, where Cruella is ultimately, you know, you know, meets her demise and you idiots. Right. Um, there's this moment where she's watching all these puppies walk by. And I always think, 
got when she think wouldn't she think something like wow they're well okay I, I I'll settle for labradors right <laughs> like like I'll have black coats instead of spotted coats right Andy she already has a bunch of labrador accessories <laughs> oh okay well then then that answers my Lab- question. <laughs> labrador was so last year darling <laughs> everyone is wearing dalmatian now oh okay sorry my bad my bad. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but yeah, that takes us through the plot structure. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, some dramatic questions. I mean, we, one of the things that I noticed in this is that, again, the dramatic questions shift. You know, first it's, will Roger find someone? Then it's, will the puppies be stolen by Cruella? And then it's, will the puppies be saved or made into coats? Right. And so I like the fact that dramatic questions change. It seems to me that each act um, should have a dramatic question, but these 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 kind of come at us in different ways um, because the movie is asking different questions at different times. Thoughts about that, or? Well, I mean, for me, the dramatic question is, you know, how far will we go to keep our children safe? Right. Mm. That for me is the primary primary uh dramatic question of the movie mm. and um and the answer is no there is nothing that is too far there is no point where we give up uh mm-hmm. we will endure anything to keep them safe uh and we will take whatever risks we need to take to make it happen uh i i feel like the movie is often strongest when it's in those moments where pongo and perdita have been separated from the puppies mm-hmm. and there is this fear that neither one of them wants to surrender to, that they will never get the puppies back. Mm. Uh, all, by the time when they're doing the, when they're actually on the return trip, I'm relieved the puppies are back with with Mama and Dad and Dada. Right? right? You know, right, right, right. like like <laughs> things things are never like the puppies can believe they're safe because right. Mommy and Daddy are here, and Mommy and Daddy are the ones who need to worry. Right. Right. And the puppies never really seem to be all that worried, except for they're hungry and cold and tired, right? They don't worry about their safety or being skinned. Because it's an adventure to them. Right. It's the adults that worry so much. Um, I want to talk a little bit, because I know you struggled with this, um, about the the television shows. Um, Yeah. Okay. Can I say my piece about this? Say your piece. There is nothing more boring than watching a movie where the characters in the movie are quietly watching TV. We're watching them watch TV. Why don't I just cut out the middleman and watch some TV myself? What is keeping me here, Andy? And the sequence just is so long. Mm, Yeah. And now I feel like I'm one of the puppies, but mama, it's boring. (laughs) Right. Right. So in Thunderbolt, we get to almost see the puppies as this sort of kindergarten. That's where we get to really get to know them. And we we see that Patch is how you know he's kind of a fighter. Um, the puppies know that there's danger in the world. They're worried that Thunder oh, but Thunderbolt has a trick. See, I told you, there's this trick, right? And meanwhile, Lucky is, you know, in front of the television set. And then the payoff is, you know, here comes the bad man and the and Lucky retreats. Um, and then, of course, you know, Rolly is constantly hungry. So we we get to see, they get to know that there's something more than this cozy, you know, fireside uh, experience of theirs where they just, you know, play and are loved. Except yes. my youngest son who watched this movie with me mm-hmm. said, this is the wrong choice. He said this without me saying anything about it. He goes, we should watch Thun- We should watch Thunderbolt for about five seconds. And then the puppies should start playing Thunderbolt oh, and, and yeah. role playing as if they're Thunderbolt, as if they're having an adventure. And we could see them having fun. And most importantly, Dad, they could be doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not wrong, there's a, Andy. There's a lot of passivity in this movie. I agree. I mean, for a movie that's about a, a daring escape, there is quite a bit of passivity when it comes to the puppies. Um, and I wonder how much of the how many of those choices were made because of this new technique that we're using 
for animation. I mean, I, I just, I'm just curious about that. But yes, I agree with you. I think that's... And the other two television shows that we see are Flowers and Trees, which if you've right. not seen Flowers and Trees, you can see it on Disney+. Plus. It's one of uh, Walt Disney's first uh, featurette, or it's not really a featurette, it's kind of a no, short. No, it was a cartoon. It was a short. It's cartoon short. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, but, and it's, it's the irony there, you know, the puppies, all the puppies are like, oh, we're bought and paid for, except for these 15 puppies who are lured into this fake sense of calm because they're seeing this television. It's like, oh yeah, well, this is fine. There's a fire and, and, you know, but in reality, they're about to be skinned for their coats. Right. Yes. And so there's this kind of like, uh, you know, it's flowers and trees. It's pretty bucolic, right? Um, But also, it's a great opportunity for us to check in with how far animation has gone, right? The animation on the TV screen is not as good as the animation we're seeing in the movie. And that's a nice little contrast. It is nice. It is nice. And it also is kind of a nod to, oh, this is how we used to do it. This is when we started. And this is where we are now. Yeah. That's kind of a a nice little nod. And then, of course, What's My Crime... That TV show shows a tick is the ticking clock in the story. So we have a ticking clock where the uh, you know the contestants are. Well, can I guess this? I don't know. And we actually see the clock ticking, and all these puppies are lined up. And can they all get through the hole before the buzzer sounds? Right. And Horace and Jasper are no longer interested in this show. So it's not that these TV shows don't do anything, but I agree with you. I think it's kind of passive. Right. Uh, there are more interesting choices that can that can be made here. I certainly don't care about what's my crime. Also, Andy, did you think that maybe at the end of this movie we were going to see Horace and Jasper as people on the show What's My Crime? It would have been a great payoff, right? I mean, I yeah. think that yeah, I think there are some, like there's some missed moments as we mentioned before, and that's one of them. Um there's lots of telling in this movie instead of showing. Like Another example is Cruella has been interviewed by Scotland Yard. And the only way we know that is we get a line. We never see Cruella being interviewed by Scotland Yard, which would be far more interesting than to see her in bed reading the paper, right? Sure. Um, I mean, that would amp up the tension. And seeing her lie, seeing her cheat, seeing her tell an authority figure that this isn't right, and then to turn to Horace and Jasper and be like, oh, this is it. Um, And and as you mentioned before, like the dearly devoted old schoolmate, um, can we see the relationship between Anita and Cruella? We don't. We just have to guess at it. I can't help but talk. I want to talk about that a lot, too. I also want to say, you know what would be an amazing thing to watch? An What's episode that? of What's My Crime, where Cruella was the main character, and you're watching all these people try to guess what her crime is, and then the host says, I'm going to give you a hint. It has something to do with dogs, and they still can't get it because what Cruella wants to do is so monstrous. Her crime mm-hmm. is that. That show would have gotten the best ratings of any episode of What's My Crime. Oh, she 100%. kidnapped dogs <laughs> to turn them into clothes. Yeah, I mean, they flip on the TV and it's Christmas and there's Cruella on What's My Crime. <laughs> I would stop recording the podcast right now if that was on. And we would, we would stop <laughs> we would right watch now it and right watch now. it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. It'd be great. Amazing. I mean, it would be great to see Cruella get a comeuppance. And she doesn't seem to. No. Other than a crash car. And so, Which, yeah, I, I let's agree. Let's face it, matter of time. And honestly, has almost nothing to do with what the puppies have done. Yeah. yeah, that car, that car is not long for this world from from minute one that we see it. Oh, yeah, I mean, she's she's riding it down to the uh, she's riding the fenders off that thing. So yeah. for sure. All right. So let's see. Um, characters. Let's dig in here. We've got Pongo, who um, who we see from the very beginning. What do you what do you think about Pongo, Larry? Um, well, I like Pongo. Where I connect to Pongo the most are the moments where he's trying to be strong for Perdita, mm-hmm. where clearly he's worried too, but his his role in the relationship is to stiff up her lip, uh, you know, exhaust every avenue. Uh, and that's I honestly think that's how marriages and partnerships work. When one mm-hmm. person when one person is down, it's the it's the role of the other person to find the strength in that particular moment. I'm sure there are moments where per, Perdita 
uh, p- picks up when Pongo is down. And, uh, don't, and don't we wish we had seen that, right? Yes. <clears throat> well, we'll get we'll get there. <laughs> right. Right. So I I do like that about uh, about him. Um, I wish though for Pongo, I I felt a little more the connections he has to the other characters in a mm. in a very abstract sense. He has fifteen puppies. But I don't even know the puppies' names, and I don't know. I don't. I, he's connected to them as a group. Mm-hmm. There's, but I don't feel his individual connections to his individual children. If that if that makes sense, because I don't yeah. even know them as individuals. With There's, the exception of Lucky, I think I think he does have a connection to Lucky because um, of what happens with Roger. Roger saves Lucky, and then models um, for Pongo what his role is as a father, right? And there's one female puppy, I want to say her name is Daisy, but I don't know, who's very clearly daddy's little girl. Right. Early on, I wanted more of her, where she was like, like just looking at her dad adoringly. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But but the problem with Pongo is he's always strong because Perdita is always weak, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And I don't, yep. I don't mean, yep. look, look. That 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 woman dog has uh, given birth to fifteen puppies, and and that is a feat of heroism I will never equal. Right. But but he is always the one being strong, and she's always the one who's in despair. And I there's just not a lot of nuance there. There's not a lot to talk about with Pongo. So Pongo's arc really is, you know, it kind of starts with, I wasn't giving up. I was determined they had to meet. Um, So he already has this kind of, this is who I am. And I get determined about these things and I'm going to make this happen. I mean, his arc is really like, gosh, I've got these puppies. Now what do I do? And he really looks to Roger, who Roger is, you know, the one massaging the puppy. It's not, it's not Pongo doing that. And so he has to learn sort of how, what, what is his role in this? Um, his role's outside, he's outside the door when the puppies are born. And so now it's, he's watching Roger save this puppy. And so now he's, and he's over the moon about them, right? But yeah. he really has, to, he really has to step up and say, it's, it's up to us. We've, he's got to take that determination and then shift it. But I don't think that's explicit enough. He's just not. It, uh, let me say, it could be more explicit. Let's say he's not way. a particularly interesting character. Well, I mean, my daughter, th- my daughter thinks Pongo's great husband material. So, okay, okay, <laughs> I would take Pongo over over Prince Charming from Cinderella. Oh, but no, I dumped them that. both for yeah. a laugh. So, <laughs> I I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but when we when we compare Pongo to the the other obvious cartoon dog, uh, which would be Tramp in in Lady and the Tramp, right? Right, right. Um, like Tramp is a character, right? Who has a personality where mm-hmm. I can easily identify various different levels, and he's a different person when he's around different people. Pongo is kind of constant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe he just arcs way too early in the movie. I mean, that could just be it. Uh, I mean, I think he does. I think he arcs in that. And then we'll get to, when we start talking about protagonist problems, we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, I think that's what happens. I think his arc comes too soon. And I think uh, it comes when, when at that moment where, uh, you know, they stand up to Cruella, where Roger stands up to Cruella. Roger also arcs way too soon. Absolutely. 100%. And the truth of the matter is, you know, uh, when Roger stands up to Cruella, he was against Cruella from the beginning. He's Mm -hmm. singing a mean song about her. He's playing music to drown her out. And when she's like, I'm going to buy those puppies, he stands up to her again. He never really didn't stand up to Cruella. Right. And this is a case. this This is my judgment. Andy, okay, okay. That the men in this movie don't allow for the women in this movie to be strong and complete their arcs. Uh, Anita is the yeah. one who needs to stand up to Cruella. Roger yes. should not be fighting Anita's battles for her. If Do you this feel like some- you're missing that? Do you feel like you're missing that moment? Because we have the first time that that Cruella gets stood up to, and it's by with the song. And the second time, Roger sort of mealy mouth tells her. You're not taking these puppies, but he's he's clearly afraid of Cruella. 
But wouldn't you like this moment at the end where Anita just kind of comes at Cruella and says, I can't believe you did this to our family. You know, I'm calling Scotland Yard. You know, here's Scotland Yard and they're here right now. You lied to them, et cetera, right? My head is exploding right now because this movie is all about the patriarchy. It is all about the father. And Mm -hmm. now I'm seeing Cruella in a whole new light. Uh, Cruella, Cruella is like, the demonized version of of like a woman who asserts herself, right? A woman right. who asserts herself is a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, should be more submissive, like Anita and Perdita, and let men fight your battles for you. Um, I don't like. I don't like this reading. I don't mm. like this reading that I've. I, and I haven't thought it out so much. So forgive me, listener, uh, if. Uh, if if I'm just wrong on this one, well, I but, mean, I don't, th- I don't think you are. I mean, I think there there are moments where we would never see today, for example, a bunch of women parade by uh, and Pongo decide that. Oh, well, maybe we would. Maybe we he would swipe right oh, or whatever. Totally, we totally would see that today, Andy. <laughs> maybe he would swipe right. I don't know. If um, Pongo had dog <laughs> Tinder, we wouldn't even have that opening sequence. That's right. True. Good point. Good point. Um, but I think you're right about Perdita and Anita. They don't really have much. They don't really change much. Um, you know, Perdita is a ready support to Pongo. I mean, at first she doesn't like him. She only likes him because Anita likes Roger. Um, no, but she was checking Pongo out. Oh, Pongo, yeah. Pongo, Pongo <laughs> peacocks a little bit, but then he catches Perdita checking him out. Like, like but that's all also, a show. <laughs> we also see that Perdita's real allegiance is first to Anita. And if Anita didn't like Roger, Perdita wasn't going to go all in on Pongo. Okay, fair enough. Roger is an excellent wingman for Pongo, and Pongo (laughs) is an excellent, excellent wingman for Roger. I I, I see it. Okay, okay, all right. You know who probably is the strongest, most positive portrayal of a woman who asserts herself? It's Nanny. I agree. I think she's fantastic. I think she tries her best to protect, and she's overpowered by Horace and Jasper, but she fights. I mean, she, she is, she's she trying. She defies them. She yeah, defies she defies them repeatedly. She doesn't have, you know, the physical strength to keep them out of the house. And, mm-hmm. But they, they have to literally lock her in the attic to, to, to uh, get her out of the way because she is more trouble than either of them was expecting. Right. And then that moment where she's running, that just very sad moment where she's running down the street and asking you know, help and calling for the police and... You know, they underestimate Noah. her intelligence and her feistiness. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, yeah, good for her. Good for yeah. Nanny. I think Nanny's great. I think Nanny's great. What about the puppies? Well, so here <sighs> is my thing. Do you remember <laughs> how I fired uh, four of the seven dwarves for being unnecessary? Right. I feel like I could get by with maybe three of these 99 puppies. <laughs> And, and we're firing really, 96 puppies. Okay. Uh, really, of those 90, of those three, mm-hmm. um, I, I like what, what, who can I name? I can name Lucky. Mm-hmm. I can name Raleigh. Mm-hmm. I can name Patch. Mm-hmm. And I think I named one of them Daisy, mm-hmm. but I may have made up that name. <laughs> I know there's Freckles, right? Is there? Um, mm-hmm. She does some say something about Freckles. Oh, is she but- the one with spots? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. That's okay. That's uh, but right. but my point here is even even with me being able to name four mm-hmm. uh or or five, like who are they? What are they? What do they do? Uh mm-hmm. really only Lucky and Raleigh emerge as characters with a personality. Right. Um well, Patch is a little bit of a fighter. I mean, there's a moment a where... A little bit. It, a little bit. He, you know, but there's they're, they're really setups and payoffs with the puppies. And Rolly's hunger is throughout the whole thing. He's always hungry. It's just um, too many puppies. 99 yeah. is too many puppies. Yeah. Lucky's enamored by the television. Um, and he's the one who's saved again and again. First by Roger, and then by Tibbs, and then by Pongo, as we talked about. But and Rolly then, is useless. Raleigh, Raleigh, like, you know. Raleigh, he's a drag on the ticket. <laughs> the the other puppy, like, at a certain point, like, Pongo and Perdita needed to have a conversation about how, while they'll miss Raleigh, there are 98 other puppies. Aww. And 
Raleigh continuously is the one who messes messes it up. And my youngest was really mad at Raleigh. And he was also also mad at Raleigh for for being defined as like, oh, that's the puppy who eats too much. But like that, that's all that he is. You know, like he's like, he's like, give me something more here. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a dog that is um, really uh, enamored with food as I have and currently have, um, but that's really all they're about. <laughs> they're very food motivated. And so Raleigh being like, there's always one in every litter. So I think that's kind of true to form uh, with puppies. But um, but yeah, it is sort of this, it is kind of... Eh. The, the major flaw with our collective group of protagonists here is Mm -hmm. there's not enough time developing them as personalities Mm -hmm. because they're watching tv for 10 to 15 minutes of the movie right and i think instead of i think this movie while i like sergeant tibbs and i like that yes i love all that i think the if the puppies were the one if patch was the one to say Hey, remember Thunderbolt? We can get out of here. Remember when we were playing like Thunderbolt? Here's a look, there's an opening. And they see an opening like Thunderbolt had in his, you know, and, and they kind of use what they've learned to then rescue themselves but, or at least get themselves out of Hell Hall. I think that could be really interesting. You know what? Since you're bringing it up, this is what I was going to talk about during protagonist problems. So let's uh-huh. just do it here. Sure. The puppies should be the protagonists. The mm-hmm. puppies should be the ones doing a great escape. The, mm-hmm. If we followed a model that was a little more Finding Nemo, mm-hmm. and we spend yeah. time where the pup, like some of the puppies, have to assume the role of adults uh, among the other puppies in order to get everybody to safety, they have uh, and to we have the right. and they meet in the middle. The dramatic mm-hmm. tension in this movie would be greater because, like we said earlier. Once the parents are there, the kids get to relax a little bit. They're not making decisions anymore. But, but do it, they ever really make decisions? They have to make a decision to trust Tibbs and follow him, even though they don't even know who he is. Well, but the alternative, what's the alternative? Uh, so they don't, but they don't even know. Like, they don't know they're about but, to be skinned. They're watching television. If we're going to have 101 main characters, <laughs> let's do something with them. Right. right, right. Uh, and if 99 of them are puppies, the great puppy escape, let's let the mm-hmm. puppies make the decision. Let's have one of the puppies be the one who figures out this is not a safe place to be. He, he or she enlists one of the other puppies to convince the other puppies they're in trouble. A third puppy comes up with the escape plan. Mm. A fourth puppy is afraid but discovers that they're brave. We can do something yeah. with these pups. There's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's let's make the. I I mean, you know, I don't Smurf Village. Every there's a hundred Smurfs. They all have personality. They have a job, right? Right. Everybody's got a job. Everybody got a, got a niche. This is just a big clump of puppies. Right. Right. It would be neat to see almost a. I think about. I keep thinking about that board game. Um, when when we were kids, like Mouse Trap, you know how yes. each of the little things has something and it does this thing and the, which kicks off this thing and and if each of those puppies has a role that then makes all of that puts all that together, that would be kind of a fun ending. And for the what if they were the ones that set off Horace and Jasper to be captured, right? Yes, what if they were the ones who who foil Cruella Deville. Um, they and they have do, to and do, they do it. a little bit with the rolling in the soot, but but again, Pongo is the one who. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with and you. And let's man. have the great reversal that at yes. the end, when the puppies and Pongo and Perdita have been reunited, it is Pongo and Perdita who are now in trouble, and the right. puppies have to go and rescue them. Let's right. do that. Yeah, and it does feel a little Finding Nemo. I mean, it does feel like that. But man, is it? Would that be a little more? I mean, it would be. It's. Yeah, be good. It's a more modern movie. It's a more yes. modern version yeah, of this. For sure, for sure. Okay, Cruella DeVille. How awesome uh, is her song? It's one of the best Disney songs. It's catchy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish it wasn't just how we met Cruella. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I kind of I kind of would like it. Uh, I mean, it's setting the tone for Cruella a little bit. It's telling us instead of showing us. Um, but it's it's just it's a jam. It is it is a fantastic song. Um and it's fun. 
It's fun. I mean, it's- she shows up in the middle of the night when she senses the puppies have been born, right? Man, she kills a moment. And it's this great reversal. You have this wonderful, we've just saved a puppy, and everybody's happy. And then whammo, here opens the door. She's fantastic. Yes. And you, we were talking about earlier how, how really what we want is more of a Cruella-Anita relationship here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, we, we get a little taste of it. We get a sense that, you know, Cruella's been talking at Anita, Anita's whole life. I, I kind of, you know, if I was filling this out a little bit in my head, I would, I would say that Anita is probably the best friend Cruella ever had. I don't think that this is like, uh, atypical, um, and, but I'd like to explore it more because I think it's interesting. How do you feel about this, Andy? Okay. Cruella bought, um, what is it, uh, 84 of the puppies, right? Right. And, and um, you know, why does she have to have these 15? There are more Dalmatians in the world. So what if the reason she needs to have these Dalmatians is they're the ones who took Anita away, away. from me. Exactly, exactly. And so, it's th- not and just- while that's in subtext, right? I mean, she's driven to win through subtext. You really want something a little more explicit, I think, because I think it would just make it better. That being said, yes. while what Cruella does is monstrous, mm-hmm. I, I think it needs to be pointed out that she is not wrong. She would look amazing in that Dalmatian <laughs> fur coat. I mean, her coloring, it, it would be fabulous, that oh, outfit. Man. Monstrous <laughs> to make it. Monstrous. But once it once it's made and she's wearing it, oh, people, people would be like, I get you 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 it's it makes a statement, doesn't it? Oh it, Larry. Larry. I mean, it is the ultimate villain statement to wear a dog coat, right? The other thing that she does that's, that's really silly is yes. let the dogs grow up. You'll be able to have so many more outfits. Stop being so... Why are you buying puppies? Well, I mean, it's because the, it's because the cops are on her, tra- on her trail, right? And so she's got to, she's got to kill them kill him before she gets caught, I guess. I, I'm against what Cruella does, but I understand... From a fashion perspective, <laughs> in the world Crazy. of that, she she is in. She's not out. She well, let's <laughs> let's talk about Cruella's accomplices, Horace and Jasper. They don't seem very committed to this task beyond the money, and they don't seem like they really like her. They what? tell her several times they're going to quit, and then she says that my favorite line of this whole thing: "If you quit, I'll call the police." And they're like, you're going to call the police. And so I'm like, call the police then, you know? And they're like, oh, God, no, we can't do that. So, yeah. So Cruella is this, why not? Why not call the police? Um, Yeah, well, I'll tell you something about uh, uh, Horace and Jasper Baden. There is something wrong with their relationship just as brothers. And the person who gets the short end of the stick here is Horace. Uh, 100%. He's the only one with any compassion, right? No, it's not even about the compassion, Andy. He's a genius. Oh? Jasper is bigger than he is. Right. Horace is the friggin' Sherlock Holmes. He's like, maybe the puppies, maybe the puppies uh, covered their tracks behind them. And Jasper says, no, you idiot. Puppies aren't that smart. And then Horace says, do you think maybe the puppies have disguised themselves Mm. and and they're wearing a disguise? And Jasper goes, oh yeah, puppies are always disguised. But the bottom line is the wrong brother is in charge. Ah, yeah. Horace is a master criminal who is in, who has, he is Moriarty level deductive skills, <laughs> recognizes something about the dogs and the cunning of the dogs. He's the only one of the three of them who really catches on every step of the way. He is right, he's right there. And then Jasper pulls him off the trail, calling him an idiot. Well, could the be only, great. yeah, yeah, it's, it is the opposite, right? So it's kind of the false who, who's really the idiot here. Um, Horace, Horace is one moment though, that I think is pretty funny when they come to the door and he forgets that it's the gas company 
And or he thinks it's the gas company and not the electric company. That's pretty funny. Sure, and they spell electric wrong. But wait for, for but that's education. Ah, uh, that's awesome. Horace and Jasper remind me of Timon and Pumbaa, where we mm-hmm. think Timon is is the smart one. When Timon like is like saying it's all fireflies up there, and put and then Pumbaa says the right thing, the smart thing, which is I think they're big balls of gas, millions of miles away. Right. And Timon says, "Oh, everything's gas to you." They are right. Horace and Jasper. That's very. That's a really interesting analogy, and I think you're right. I think you're right. Captain Colonel and Sergeant Tibbs. So we get to the end of the Twilight Bark and we end up with these three characters. What do we make of them? We don't need more dogs. <laughs> we have 101 dogs. We don't need more dogs. We, we, we have so many protagonists. We don't need more. Yeah, I mean, Tibbs gets the puppies out of the house, obviously, while Pongo and Perdita make their way. And like I said earlier, I think this movie would be better served if Patch was the one who yes. got who got Thunderbolt, who knew all about him and learned about him and learned about his tricks. And then the payoff was, hey, we're going to employ a Thunderbolt trick here and we're going to get out of this hell, you know, out, out of this hell house. That, that's exactly hell that's hall. exactly it. Yeah. You know, they, they are taking up space that prevents us from spending time with the puppies. Yeah. Yeah. And and we need them out of the when the, when each of them is left behind on the different legs of the journey. Mm-hmm. I'm never sad to see them go. I'm never like, you know, it's not like Dorothy is leaving behind the Tin Man. And I'm like, wait, we got more to do with these guys. I'm like, good, leave them behind. I don't need them. I got a hundred. <laughs> again, I have so many characters. Yeah. I mean, the thing I love, though, about that, uh, the fact that there are so many is that Pongo never thinks that. And Pongo spends his whole time trying to figure out how to get that very last puppy because none of them is going to be left behind. And he learns yeah. that. He learns that from Roger, you know? Sure. Because four, 14, well, that's... But this one, this one matters. And so I'm going to sure. go get this one. And so it is a beautiful little theme, I think. Um, we've talked about protagonist problems. Yeah, Who I think we we've think? covered that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is kind of a point of view shift uh, that I do want to talk about um, in that while there are problems for Pongo, the, the point of view shifts are from Pongo to Horace to Jasper and Cuella and then back to Pongo. If we're using Pongo as a narrator in the beginning, it's kind of tough to make that jump because he should be, if he's in the narrator in the beginning, should he not be the narrator throughout the thing? Yeah, you can't have a conceit like that and then drop it. That's right. one of the things that I've learned about, you know, voiceover narration. You right. really you really need to maintain it throughout. And and mm. this uh and this movie doesn't do it. And no, and it doesn't need it. Uh Pongo yeah. would still be the protagonist even without that narrative voice. Whether he should be, and I I think we've made the case that maybe he shouldn't be or or not the only protagonist is is a different case is a different story entirely, but we certainly don't need him to be the narrator. So if you took out that narration, you could tighten up that early sequence yes. and get them together within probably, I think it takes, gosh, it takes so long to get there. I think Get them probably... together in a song. Yeah, Do, yeah. So many Disney, like we only have one song really in this movie and it's mm-hmm. a, it is an amazing song. Sure. But but do, do a, give us the scene with a song, something mm-hmm. about dogs falling in love and like, do the meet cute during the song, move the story along, introduce us. And then the movie opens after the song, the puppy, right. you know, we can even see the, you know, the puppies are being born. Done. Boom. Done. All right. Themes. What do you think? Um, I mean, the big theme here obviously is family, right? Right. Uh, right. But, but specifically guardianship, uh, mm. you know, protection. Uh, Saving the innocent. Right. Yes. Yes, yeah. but but also like the global family, right? Mm. It's it's not just about saving their fifteen puppies; it's about saving all ninety nine puppies. Right. And again and again, we see the community coming together. Those cows do mm. an amazing heroic thing. Um, yeah. You know, like the the ducks are in on it. The cats. It really is about how it requires a community to protect the next generation. I like that as the theme for this. Oh. I love that. Also that crime, you know, crime never wins. 
Well, I mean... <laughs> At least in this movie, right? I mean, Cruella's not done. No, she's not. We have a she's lot She's lost her car. And <laughs> right. she, what she deserves as a punishment is to be a... Per- she should be on What's My Crime. That's she, right. That's right. Yes. She, she needs to be publicly humiliated, her social standing destroyed, the things that she values most mm-hmm. taken from her. Mm-hmm. Horace and Jasper, I don't know that they're going to jail either. No, no. You know? I mean, they don't really get what they, they don't really get what they have coming to them. They are I guess. kidnappers. They deserve the worst. The worst, right. But children, I think, can watch this movie and become like reassured or maybe even empowered well, reassured, if we wrote it their way, if we wrote it our way, they might become a little more empowered, but less worried about people coming to hurt them. Um, well, and and if that happens, then if that does happen to you, then somebody will come look for you because they love you. Except right? Andy. Except Andy. I wonder if that keeps... Uh, this, this is me being dark. Um, but but uh, kids need to know if they're not safe, that mm-hmm. they need to remove themselves from an unsafe situation. Or absolutely. 100%. So Not just if, sit there watching TV yeah. waiting for the... So yeah. I think in our rewrite, right, that yeah. they would learn from Thunderbolt, they would learn from Pongo, they would learn from Perdita, you know, they would see Pongo, baby Pongo resists Horace and Jasper. And maybe they slip, instead of Nanny resisting, um, they slip by Pongo. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Just yeah. kind of spitballing here, but... And speaking of spitballing, it's pitch time, right? Yay, pitch uh, time! <laughs> so given... 101 Dalmatians 2, the live action movies, television series, and now the Cruella films. What in the world would we do with this material? Okay, so I have a long pitch. Do you do you have a short one or I want to hear your long one because mine is really terrible. Okay. <laughs> so uh I, I mentioned earlier how I'm a big fan of Dodie Smith. I have not read 101 Dalmatians, mm-hmm. but I what I have also not read is the sequel she wrote to 101 Dalmatians called The Starlight Barking. But I know about it. Now, keep in mind, Andy, I have not read this book. And when I describe it to you, you may may have opinions about what I'm describing to you. But let's assume that this is all excellently executed. Perfect, yes. So this is the actual sequel, as written by Dodie Smith. Okay. So in The Starlight Barking, It begins, the dogs wake up and they discover that every human being in the world is asleep and cannot wake up. They also discover that they are telepathic and able to communicate with every other dog in the world. Then they discover that they all have powers. Uh, They can all fly now. Um, And obviously, obviously, Pongo, you know, his first thought is, you know how what where's what's going on? It's up to the dogs to save the people. Uh, at one point, they're like, "It must be Cruella has done something to all the people." Uh. So Pongo sends about a contingent of um, like a dozen dogs to go and kill Cruella Deville. Mm-hmm. But Cruella is also asleep. This has affected her because what's happened, Andy, is dogs from space, specifically. Sirius, the Lord of the Dog Star, has arrived. He sees that a nuclear holocaust is about to occur and consume the planet, and he wants to give all of the dogs the chance to escape with him to the to the Dog Star, where where they will they will live and ascend with all of their powers. But Pongo wow. is the one who gets to make the final decision on behalf of dog kind and he thanks Sirius for the opportunity but would not be happy on the dog star even with all of these new powers if their human pets weren't there too and they decide to stay on earth and who knows maybe the dogs being on earth will be enough to stop that possible nuclear holocaust and that is for real (laughs) I did not make this up the sequel to 101 Dalmatians, and I'm going to tell you, Andy, I am in. I think it sounds fantastic. I mean, I've always said that dogs, you know, we don't deserve them. And so imagine if they were saving us from a nuclear annihilation. I mean, I, I'm in too. I'm, I want to see that. Dog superheroes, dog telepaths. <laughs> Flying dogs. Alien dogs. Space. <laughs> dogs, yes. 
knew the it. threat of the war. The stakes could not be higher. I absolutely love this. Okay, you want to hear my, my pitch? Do you want to hear my terrible pitch? And this is yes. really terrible, and probably more projection than I would like to admit. I want a movie where Perdita has more to do. So, what if she goes on a break to a dog spa and she meets up with other mothers and learns that she could be more than just kind of this flat character? And then she wrestles with her, you know, relationship to Pongo during a midlife crisis. And then when she comes back, she actually says to Pongo, I want to have more puppies. And we get a thousand and one Dalmatians. That's right. And she adopts all the other mothers. Yeah, puppies. And there it is. All right. Well, (laughs) we did. Okay. Those you need me two. to do you need me to take us out here a little Those bit? Are two very different pitches. Well, hey, I mean, if you like what you're hearing, <laughs> you want more of this. Uh, do us a favor and would you share this podcast with another Disney fan? That'd be great. Yeah, and everyone, please check out our Once Upon a Disney fan Facebook page. Uh, you can tweet us at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner Six. Or you could drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. And next week's episode is Ooh. going to be, bump a bump Escape to Witch Mountain. Ooh. Again, the original. The yes, original not is... The, not, the, not the second one, but the, not the remake, but the original. Yes. Yes. Um, so, I, and I'm excited for this one. Uh, I, I remember it as a fun movie, but it has been some time. So we'll see. We'll see how it holds up. I I also remember it uh, watching it on Wonderful World of Disney. I think so a long time ago. But I I don't think we can top 101 Galactic Dalmatians. Probably not. <laughs> so until next time, friends. We'll see you real soon. See you real soon. <laughs> <laughs>